0: Galatians chapter 2. That tie which binds our hearts in Christian love is truly a blessed thing for every true believer who's come to not only know Christ but know the bond and unity every believer has with one another in Christ. And yet, though that tie is strong as death, according to Song of Solomon's, it is also constantly endangered by our adversary, the devil, and his every attempt to seek that tie broken. And sometimes as believers, we... Are greatly heartbroken and sorrowed that because of our adversary and our own weakness and infirmities that tie is too often broken and therefore that unity is damaged or harmed it takes more than merely a sentimental affection to keep that bond, that tie between believers. It takes courage. It takes faith. It takes a lot of self-sacrifice, compassion, of course a lot of prayer, and it takes faith and perseverance. When you come to cherish something and you esteem it very, very highly, you will make every effort to preserve that and keep that. And I fear that that tie, that bond, that unity of which our Lord Himself, as well as many of the apostles' soaks vehemently and often spoke of, is very little valued in this day and age of schisms and divisions. Sometimes I believe we are living in the days of the judges when every man did that which is right in his own eye. But we find in our text this morning, Galatians chapter 2, we find in the character and conduct of the Apostle Paul, not only his devotion to the Gospel, because everything, as we'll see later on, everything in this chapter revolves around the gospel. He even says in verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. But it also reveals His love and courage for the truth of God and also His compassion and care for true believers. Qualities and virtues which I believe every true believer should humbly and faithfully strive to excel even more in. We see in this second chapter with his dealings with three classes of people, we see all these characteristics of the Apostle Paul, his courage and devotion to the Gospel, his love for Christ, and his compassion and mercy for true believers. And it requires a work of grace as we sang in that one hymn that says that through all these things God has shown us by His grace how to keep the unity of the believers. Paul learned how to be able to deal with each one of those different situations, those diverse situations in a manner which was not only glorifying to Christ, but also something that encouraged and also excelled the Gospel and at the same time encouraged and edified the believers. You see, too often we're selfish in our convictions and in our opinions concerning the truths of God and others. Paul always had those things in mind, whatever he was going through, whether it was persecution and perils of false brethren, or the weaker brethren, or even erring and sinner brethren. It was always his love and devotion to Christ and the gospel. His faith, and devotion to God, and His compassion to edify the believers. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but in everything we do, dearly beloved, as we'll find out with Paul, it is to the glory of God first and foremost, and the advancement of the gospel, but also to the edification of the believer. And I believe this is greatly missing in this day and age of schisms and divisions. Paul always had the edification of the believer forefront in his mind along with the love of the Gospel. He never separated those two. He knew that they were joined by Christ. And he knew they were vital not only for the advancement of the Gospel. For by this, when you love one another, the world shall know that you're my disciples. But also for the edification of the church. He always longed and strove to see the churches of God edifying one another in love, in patience, and labor. And he strove vehemently to cultivate that. And so must we as believers, as I hope and pray, will learn this morning. And yet we need to learn that divine balance of which we learn of Paul in these passages of Scripture. Let's begin in chapter 2 and verse 1. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. getting ahead of myself. You see in those words his love for the gospel, but also his edifying of the believers, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Always keeping that in mind, but of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, I it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But counterwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me. For the Gentiles, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision we have recorded in this second chapter of Paul's epistle to the Galatians a remarkable display of the conduct and character of the Apostle Paul in dealing with three distinct classes of people. First, towards the weaker brethren, which we discussed last week in verses 1 to 2. Secondly, we see his character and conduct towards false brethren, as we'll look at today in verses 3 to six. And thirdly, we see his character and conduct towards those brethren who were erring or in sin, in verses 11 to 15. Beloved, in each one of these situations, we see the wisdom, meekness, compassion, courage, and conviction of the Apostle Paul as he deals with each one individually. And they all not only exalt Christ, but they're edifying to the church of God. And they show courage and endurance and perseverance and contending for the faith. That is a glorious divine balance that I pray we all excel even more in. Because I fear that balance has been lost. And I hope and pray that God would teach us this morning by the example of Paul, that these things are important. Because we're living in a day and age where we see so much schism and division. False prophets, false teachers, false brethren are everywhere abounding even more than in the days of Christ. And we also see that there are many believers who are caught in a fault or error or sinning. And we as believers must follow Paul's example. If we're ever to see the advancement of the gospel, the glorifying of Christ and the edifying of the church. There are many today who care little or nothing about the manner or character of their conduct when dealing with others, whether it be a weaker brother, a false brother, or even an erring brother. To them, knowledge and or the level of their conviction is all that matters. They're not seeking the edification of believers or the glorifying of God, though they profess they are seeking His glory, or even the advancement of the gospel. They're exalting their own knowledge and level of conviction above all those things. It does matter how we carry ourselves when we're dealing with people, whether they're in opposition to us, or whether they're agreeing with us, or whether they're falling in error. It does matter to God the character and conduct we have when dealing with these people. It matters a lot. Not simply that we have the truth, knowledge puffeth up, Paul said. They seek not to bear the weak brothers' infirmities, as Romans encourages us. Nor are they contending for the faith against false brethren. They're just trying to get their point across. And with the restoring of a fallen or sinful brother? Beloved, I believe that's a subject that's greatly, greatly missing amongst Christians. The only thing that they're concerned in is that they're right and nothing else matters. And I pray that that would never be the spirit that we have as Christians in this day and age which we live in. Because like I said, there are many perils, as we'll see in a few moments, many perils that the church faces. It's better when we face these things together as Christians. There's strength in a multitude of counselors. When we can face these things together as Christians, watching over the weak brethren, taking the mind where they are spiritually, when we can beware of false brethren and false prophets who enter into the church, and when we can restore a brother or sister who's fallen in error, sin, dearly beloved, that's what our purpose should be, and not all to the glory of God. Therefore, this morning I want to take a few time, a few little moments this morning to look at how Paul dealt with false brethren in the midst of the church. Now, remind you, they're in the church. He's talking about, they're in the church. So, whatever he does, however he speaks to these people or about them, it's going to either help, hinder, edify, or destroy those believers who are witnessing these false brethren. You follow my train of thought here? Paul's aware of his surroundings when he's dealing with these false brethren. He's not just boldly coming in and and rashly boldly professing that they're false brethren, there's a purpose behind this. And over the years, over all the years of me being a Christian and a pastor, I've so often seen Christians in the presence of believers and non-believing family members react and respond in a way which is not edifying to anybody. In fact, it's detrimental to those who are not yet converted because they're thinking, if that's Christianity, I surely don't want none of it. And it's not edifying, edifying to young believers who say, well, he's an older Christian, she's an older Christian, why are they behaving like that? It causes confusion. I've seen that so often amongst believers. And I think, why are you not aware of your surroundings? Why are you not aware of the people around you? Paul said these false brethren were amongst them. And so Paul doesn't just, without thinking or without consideration of weaker brethren and other believers, he doesn't boldly go in and just attack these false brethren. There's a purpose behind it, as we'll hopefully see this morning, which we need to exercise as well as believers. Look at verse 3-6 to with me again. But neither Titus, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren. This is why he didn't allow Titus to be circumcised. Paul explains why. Because false brethren... Uh, because a false brother unawares brought in, somebody brought them in. Somebody let them in. We need to be aware of that. Who came in privily to try to be sneaky and deceitful. To what? To spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Why? That they might bring us into bondage, bondage to the law. Paul said they're being deceitful to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You see how he's bringing the circumstances around him into it. He's bringing the church into it. He's not just ignoring them. He's saying, no, this is for your edification. This is for you. But of those, or of these, who seem to be somewhat... Whatsoever they were, make no matter to me, God accepted no man's persons. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. And we'll look at that. That's very important because these false brethren were actually telling Paul, you're nothing like John and Cyphus and Peter. They're pillars. They walked with Christ. You're not a right apostle. In fact, you persecuted the church. And Paul is defending his position and saying, it doesn't matter who John and Peter is. God does not respect your persons. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the false brethren. He's talking about saying, I learned nothing from them. God revealed this to me. He's defending his divine calling as an apostle. I didn't learn this from them. I learned this from Christ. My apostleship is not in agreement to them or their satisfaction, but because of Christ. He's not demeaning John and Peter and Cephas. He's merely defending his divine calling. And we'll get in that later because... That's exactly what false brethren try to condemn and undermine is the pastor's ability to lead. But we'll get into that later. This was not Paul's first encounter with false brethren. It wasn't his first rodeo, as we say in Texas. For declaring all the perils he faced as a minister of Christ in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and there's a lot of perils there. One of them he declared he was always in perils amongst false brethren. They were always there. He always had false brethren around him trying to undermine his apostleship, undermine his ministry. Always, he said, I was always in perils of false brethren. This is not his first encounter with them. And brother, we'll not only just have one encounter. As a pastor of over 35 years, believe me, I've encountered false brethren many times. He said, no, I've been in perils of such false brethren all the time. You see, the Scriptures are not silent when it comes to declaring the many perils, which has and continues today to confront God's church, both from without and within. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why did he say that? Why did Christ say that? Well, because the gates of hell shall attempt to. We have Satan in the world. We have those outward perils. Those inward perils, though, listen to me closely, are much more threatening and dangerous than any outward peril because they come from within. For those from without, they oppose and reject the truths of God with great boldness and brazenly. They don't try to hide. They don't try to conceal themselves. Yet those perils which arise from within come always unaware, privily, unnoticed, and with great deceit under the guise or pretense of friendship as a brother, that's why he calls them false brethren, or ministers of righteousness, Paul said Satan also changes or transforms his servants into the ministers of righteousness. You say, what's that mean? Paul's basically saying there are in many pulpits ministers of unrighteousness. In other words, Satan's servants, not God's servants, but they appear to be ministers of righteousness. They creep in, unawares, privily, unnoticed, and by gaining the affection and trust of many, usually simple-hearted or young believers, they sow discord and damnable heresies and divisions amongst the people of God. I say that because we live in a day and age where many young Christians, especially, but many Christians in general, are actually ignorant to this danger and threat. They, they, many today believe, well, you say you're a Christian, so I'm just taking you at face value. Well, yeah, but man, that guy's causing a lot of trouble in the church, a lot of divisions and turmoil and discord. Yeah, it's okay. He's still a brother. We need to look twice. We need to be careful. You, want to, you know one of those abominations? Before God in Proverbs? He that soweth discord amongst the brethren. You should you should know them by their fruits. Somebody amongst the believers that constantly seek to sow discord. We need to be aware of. Because again, like I said in the beginning, if we truly have the Spirit of Christ the edification of the believers is going to be first and foremost next to the glory of God in all our efforts. And people will see that. Of such inward perils, Paul himself, like we said last week or read last week, exhorted the elders at Ephesus, and that, all elders, night and day he said with tears to watch and take heed. Not many times Paul said anything about tearing or crying, but in this he did. He said, I'm telling you, night and day with tears. It literally broke his heart of the dangers and perils of false teachers and false brethren and wolves rising amongst the flock. His tears were not for the grievous wolves nor for those who of their own selves would arise, speaking, he said, perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. Listen to the fruits of these false brethren, false apostles and teachers. What are they trying to do? I mean, sometimes we're so naive as Christians, we have blinders on. Someone who truly loves Christ and desires (coughs) the edification of the church, they're going to do everything they can to seek unity. Love and edification, not discord. But that's what Paul said, night and day. His tears were for the flock. <clears throat> Excuse me, for whom the wolves, he said, cares nothing for them. <clears throat> Beloved, <clears throat> I have been in church meetings in the past where so-called brethren or sisters, seeking merely to defend their own convictions and opinions, cared nothing about other believers amongst them who were listening to the conversation. There was no desire in their words or their affections or in their sentiments to edify the church or glorify Christ. It was simply to undermine the pastor. Bothers me when people who profess to be Christians have that single eye when dealing with differences. No mention of the well-being of the church, the edification of God's people, the glory of God. It's, I'm telling you, you can tell them other fruits. <clears throat> His tears were for those who would be drawn away. You see these false brethren, false teachers? What are they doing? Uh, drawing them away by their perverse sayings. Look in Acts chapter 20, I just want to throw this note in there while we're talking about this. I want you to see something that I pray would help us in dealing with such false brethren, false pauses. I want you to take notice how Paul declares the remedy or refuge against such wolves and deceitful men. Listen to what Paul says here. Take heed, therefore, chapter Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost... I like how he says Holy Ghost. Men didn't make you overseers. If men are truly called of God, they're appointed by God, not by man. And we'll see that when Paul later on says, God's not a respecter of persons. They're appointed by God. That's missing a lot today anyway. Anyway, made you overseers to feed the church of God... Which is Perthus with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. What does he say? He said, take heed that you feed the church of God. Do you see what he's saying? The preacher, how do we? How do how are we? What's the remedy against? Feed the Church of God. Give them spiritual food from God's Word. We undermine so oftentimes in situations like this the power of God's Word upon the lives of the believer. Paul says, "You want to be. You want to be warned from this. You want to be hedged in. You want to protect yourself. Feed the Church. Give them God's Word. God's Word is their protection. Teach them." Isn't that amazing? Feed them. That's how you avoid these wolves. And these men that will rise up drawing a disciple. Feed them. So you give them the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. He said, take heed to feed them. This divine responsibility to take heed and to watch over all the flock which Christ has appointed unto them who are the overseers. That's Paul's exhortation. Also, Christ—it's a divine responsibility. The beloved, is made today much more complicated and difficult. And listen to me closely, because I don't want anybody to understand misunderstand me. Is made today more complicated and difficult. By the coming of internet and TV into the homes and lives of God's people. Do you know that? I mean, considering the days of Paul, these false brethren had to come in physically amongst the believers. Now, they come in through the TV and internet. So now, now there are countless voices of false prophets, false teachers, false brethren who have access into the very homes and hearts of God's people, it makes the pastor's task even more difficult. You don't know what you're listening to at home. Who you're watching. I remember one distinct individual who was visiting our church years ago when I first came up here I I had a very complicated and difficult time, and I don't even think I was able to ever reach her with the truths of the gospel because she was so hung up on this TV evangelist who believed in miracles and healings and signs that no matter how often she came to church and she loved coming to church, she would not sway one bit. Oh, I listen to him every day. That's your problem. why do you think there's so many Christians, and I believe there are sound Christians in in one one effect. I believe they are true Christians. Why do you think so many Christians today believe they don't need a church because of this? We've got to be careful what we let into our homes. We've got to be careful what we listen to. And I won't go into this. We talked about it probably in detail yesterday in fellowshipping out by the lake with a few brethren and sisters yesterday, but I believe this has also led to the weakening of the local church. And that's sad. But that's another subject for another time. But the task of taking heed and watching over uh, the flock of God which Christ purchased with His own blood, a responsibility given by Christ to overseers, is made more complicated because of that. So, I'm just telling you this morning, beware, be cautious. Well, preacher, you don't understand. I have have enough knowledge. That's not going to happen to me. Hold on, because in a few verses later, Peter falls under the influence of the false brethren, along with Barnabas. And Peter was a pillar. So you see, be careful. There's some people, and I do listen to sermons. Yes, I'm like you. I listen to sermons. I'm not saying you can't. But there's some I will not listen to. Just for this truth. And always, always listen with a very uh, distinct amount of salt when you're listening to anybody. You say, well, even you? Yes, look at Scripture. Even my preaching. Look at Scripture. Don't you ever, don't you ever take a, a a man's opinion as being absolute truth. The only absolute truth we have is in God's Word. So no, you you keep an eye on me as well, and you do what the the believers did at uh, Berean, Believing Believers, and you check it with Scripture. You look at it with Scripture. And if there's something that you don't agree with or something that you don't understand, that's when you come to the preacher and you sit down like we did yesterday. It was wonderful. And we discussed these things. We talked about them, and we come to the conclusion with Scripture. That's how it's done. But people that don't have a church, they I'm telling you, they're in so much danger. I'm telling you, there's so much danger, they become so isolated and they think they have a that they, they have the rights on absolute truth. And so bad. So wrong. Be careful. Okay? I just wanted to say that. Be careful. Paul says false brethren, because they assume to be brothers. Yet for the sole purpose of deceiving, they're brought in unawares, he said. They came in privily. You see, unlike those who boldly and unashamedly oppose and reject the truths of God publicly, these false brethren, like I said before, creep in unawares, undetected, under pretense of friendship and brotherhood. And this is why they deceive so many. As Judas betrayed Christ with a kiss or a show of affection, so, to these false brethren, by deceit and the show of affection, deceive true believers into believing a lie. He said, "That can't happen to me." You're already, <laughs> you're already uh, a great target. Because, like I said, even uh, the great apostle Peter fell into this. And it's amazing because he was fell and with the Jews, and when the Gentiles came, he separated himself so, um, he wouldn't be seen with the Gentiles. And it's amazing because even Peter got a vision from God about going to the Gentiles. Remember the sheep came down with all the unclean food, and God said, Eat, Peter oh, I'm not eating anything. Don't call that unclean. So Peter went out and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And still, he fell for these false brethren. And even Barnabas, whose name is Brother of Consolation and Comfort, fell under this deception. So beware. All of us must beware. Let us be careful that we think we stand lest we fall. False teachers privily bringing in damnable heresies, Peter said. False teachers privily. You see that deception? Privily bringing in damnable heresies. Jude said, ungodly men, creep in unawares. Turning the grace of God in lasciviousness. And Paul says, false brethren are brought in unawares. So you see, uh, here's the peril. Here's the danger. This is why these inward perils are uh, a much greater threat and danger to believers than outward. Because they come undetected. I'm sure some of you have, but I can confess in my 40 years as a Christian and preacher, I've seen firsthand the level of devastation, havoc, and divisions which such false brethren have caused amongst believers. It's devastating. It's sad. Such false brethren, when once they have wrought havoc and confusion, I've learned by experience, Amongst the believers, I notice they simply move on, leaving behind them a trail of devastation and destruction. I, I know of two distinct situations in my life as a pastor where this has happened, and in those places, there is no testimony of the church. They've done their work and they moved on and left the believers there to fend for themselves, and they had nobody. Now, you think that was edifying to the church and glorifying to God? Nope. It's sad. But it's a danger that we as God's people need to be aware of and take heed of. And like I said in the beginning, we have a responsibility, a mutual responsibility and accountability, not just the pastor as overseer, but one another as believers. To watch over one another with love and the good work. To provoke one another to love and to good works. Paul says. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because we need each other to encourage, to strengthen, to bond with one another in love and compassion. To help one another. How do I know a brother's been taken over, over with a fault if I don't know my brother, if I'm not acquainted with my brother? How can I help? How can I do that? How can I help a weaker brother if I'm never with him, if I don't know him, if I'm not associated with him, acquainted with him? This is why prayer meetings are so important. Not only that we bring our prayers before God, but we also, like Peter says, confess your faults one to another. That's rare. <laughs> Here's my fault. I didn't say sin. We're not priests. Well, spiritually we but I mean like Catholic. Confess your faults one another. Pray for one another. So that's how so we do that that's how we grow We was talking yesterday about how church grows you, 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 when a church begins to grow you plant a new church it, it grows it grows as God teaches us and we grow spiritually and things might change not the truth but circumstances situations might change we might see a need to change here a way we're doing things not the truth not doctrine that changes but other things we grow together Can you do that in your marriage? We won't get into that because that's another subject as well, but that's one of the problems in a lot of homes today too is they don't understand the respect the institution of marriage. You grow together. Somebody asked me the day, how long have you been with your wife? I said 43 years. One said, Boy, I tell you, she must have had a lot of patience to stay with you that long. I said, Yeah, she's a good wife. Hadn't always been easy, and every single one of you that's married knows that. We apply that same principle in the church. But they don't today. Oh, you offended me. You hurt me. You said something I didn't like, so I'm just I'm leaving. We need to know, we need to learn from the example of Paul. Okay? Now real quickly, how did Paul then deal with such false brethren? Look in verses 5 and 6 real quickly. But not too quickly. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. We didn't budge. I didn't compromise. Not for an hour. Why? That the truth of the Gospel... Might continue. With you. Again, do you see his wording here? With you. I want you to understand the truth of the gospel. Paul is not arrogant in this. He's not being prideful. But he has and possesses a divine combination of resolve and commitment to the truth of the gospel, joined by a humble desire for the edification of all true believers. So you see, it's not just Paul wanting to voice his conviction. I'm not budging because I'm right and you're wrong. No, he's saying no. I want, I want uh, the truth of the gospel to continue with you. I know where I stand concerning the gospel. But I want you to see that I'm not compromising anything for the gospel. You see, this is being an example to younger believers. Paul saying, I'm not moving. And you must not move either when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Don't move. I'm, I'm being an example to you. I want you to see by my example. Don't give them any room at all. When they come in to pervert the gospel, that's why in chapter 1 he speaks so boldly and vehemently against those who preach another gospel. Let them be accursed. As older believers, we need to be an example unto the younger believers, not only of our commitment to the truths of God, but our desire to see others edified by our actions and motives in loving and persevering in those truths. Not merely proving that we're right. In all matters of indifference, even against false brethren, beloved, we must stand firm and unmovable in contending for the faith, yes, but also the edification of God's people in doing so. Never lose that mind. Glory of God first and foremost, yes, but the second is the edification of God's people. I am all things to all men that they might be saved. That the truth of the gospel might continue uh, with you. I want you to be edified by this. The edification, beloved, of others never enters the minds of false brethren. Only their own selfish desires and worth. Well, how will the weaker brother take this? When when we have divisions and schisms and differences, how is it going to affect the younger brothers and sisters in our church? Oh, that doesn't matter to me. The truth must stand. No, Paul didn't say that. So Paul, didn't, Paul didn't say that. Yes, the truth. But Lord, how do I give that truth out? How do I profess that truth? How do I contend or defend that truth in a way that's also edifying to those around me? Not destructive, I think we've all heard the story of countless people why they don't come to church. There's many reasons, but one stands out above all: you Christians just fight all the time. You never get along. why should I? Now for years, I'm almost still the same now, but for years they gloried that there was twenty two different churches in Coleman. But if you look at the history of all those churches, those 22 churches evolved out of maybe a handful of churches. They just kept splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting. That's where now you have so many churches. But if you look back in history, they weren't that many at one time. I'm not saying division is not sometimes a good thing. To whom we gave place by suggestion, no, not for an hour. Paul would not compromise, nor would he be moved from his conviction and defense of the gospel. Neither must we. And I believe it's been the compromising of God's truth, though some may profess out of unity or peace sake, which actually has led to countless errors and false doctrines amongst believers. Beloved, meekness is not weakness. And we can't sacrifice the truth for peace and unity's sake. They go together. We just need to learn the divine balance of keeping those. Well, preacher, they mean good. I don't care if they mean good or not. If they're biblically, doctrinally wrong, they're wrong. How do we get them to see that? In meekness, opposing those who oppose themselves, so they might come to repentance of acknowledging the truth, you see. No, Paul didn't compromise. You know what Paul what Peter's divine exhortation against such false teachers was in Second Peter? Paul said, Feed the church to the elders of Ephesus. You know what Peter's divine remedy against such false teachers was? He says, But you you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amazing, isn't it? That you fall from your own fadness, but grow in the grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior grow, feed the flock. Jude's exhortation against all those ungodly men was, build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost and keeping yourselves in the love of God. Faith of our fathers, living still. Not with sword uh, or clanging cymbals by deeds of mercy love. You see, there's a balance there. We can be uncompromising when it comes to the truth of God and still take into consideration the edification of believers and the defending of the truth. We just need by God's grace to learn that balance. That's why I close with this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, that of these who seem to be somewhat I want to close with this. These who seem to be somewhat. He's talking about not the false brethren. He's talking about Peter John and Cephas. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. He's not belittling them. He said it doesn't matter what position they hold. It doesn't matter if Peter's the pillar and John's the pillar. God accepted no man's person. I've been called because of God, not because of Peter and John. I'm not looking for their acceptance, though I would take it, and as you see, that's what he strove for, and he gets it. They give him the right hand. Paul's just telling these false brethren, you can you can undermine me all you want to. It's God who put me here. God accepted no man's person, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. He said, I didn't learn this from Peter or John or Cephas. I didn't learn this from them but from God. But counterize. When they saw that the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of circumcision. You see, they've seen that. They evidenced it. They testified to it. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. You see, God gave evidence of it. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given. You see, they didn't see Paul as being arrogant. Unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. You see that? Their accusations were that Paul wasn't a true apostle, is what the false brethren were saying. And that he came behind the true apostles. <coughs> false brethren, dearly beloved, will always attempt to defame, discredit, and slander those in positions of leadership in the church. Never forget that. That's why I hold, it's hard for me to hold, let me put this way, it's hard for me to hold respect for a church member who allows other people to undermine, defame, and discredit their pastor. I'm not saying that there's not truth in every criticism. But if you have elders and leaders and pastors in your churches that teach you and preach to you out of the Word of God, and as far as you can tell from the witness and testimony, they're doing their best to feed you and to supply you with that nourishment that you can grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you should have a zealousy for them which should extend also to defending them. The false brethren always do that. They attempt to defame, discredit, and slander those in leadership of the church. Because that's how they deceive and convince the true believers. That's what they're doing, Paul. He's not a real apostle. No, he persecuted the church at one time. Don't you remember? Now, Peter, John, and Cyprus, oh, they walked with Christ. Paul's nothing. Paul says, no, no. It's not true. He defended his position. And Paul constantly had to do that. If you read his epistles, he was constantly defending his apostleship. False brethren are everywhere. And beloved, let me tell you something. That is something that every true pastor, preacher, elder, it doesn't matter, is going to run into continuously throughout their ministry. There's always going to be false brethren who come in to try to undermine his authority, his position, try to uh, defame his name, try to slander him. Why? So that they might bring others or draw others after themselves to their opinions and their convictions. by making And isn't that how people usually do that in the world too? You know, they make other people look bad so they look better. Isn't that a trait of the, of the nature of our flesh? I can make myself look better by making other people look bad. Paul said no. So you see, Paul was firm in his conviction. Paul was devoted to the Gospel. Paul loved the Gospel. He contended for the faith. He stood up. He didn't subject, not even for an hour. But he also had the edification of God's people in mind. That the truth of the Gospel might continue with you. And that's why even in rebuking the erring brethren, he says, you're not following. You're not aligning yourself with the truth of the Gospel. You see, the gospel is more than a message of salvation. Oh, that's the heart of it. But the gospel is our life. Our actions and conduct reflect the gospel. Do you know that? I, I believe a lot of Christians don't even consider that. We say, well, let's get a flyer out and let's get the gospel out. And the gospel is that sinners come. Well, you know what the gospel is? I've heard brethren ask me that. What is the gospel? Well, you know, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. That's right. But our lives, our life, should reflect the truth of the Gospel. Do you know that? This is why James says, if you don't believe my faith, watch my works. May God give us grace in Reformed Baptist Church to learn from Paul's example. His character and conduct in dealing with diverse situations and diverse people. And may we ever, ever, and I promise i close with this, may we ever first and foremost seek God's glory the contending for the faith and the gospel, and that all in the light of edifying the church of God, and not ourselves, I believe then we shall see the gospel more successful in this world. God more glorified, and the church, oh, would be made lively. Amen? A living stone. Amen? May God bless His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, how it lifts that veil of darkness, that, that, that darkness that often covers our eyes, that, Father, we didn't know was even existent. We didn't know it was even there. Lord, how often have we read Thy Word and been convicted over something that we were never aware of that we were doing wrong. And Your Word comes in and so gently yet sternly reminds us of our shortcomings and our weaknesses. And we humbly bow ourselves before Thy throne and seek Your mercy and grace and forgiveness. Lord, I pray, make Reformed Baptist Church truly a church that is a light in this world. One that reflects not only our love for Christ, but You in its essence. And help us, Lord God, to always be reminded that our character and conduct, whether in church, out in the world, on the job, with our family and neighbors, Lord, our lives reflect the Gospel. Father, I pray that, Lord, You'd help us. Strengthen, encourage us in all these things. We love You and thank You for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.